Hey everybody, and welcome to an edition of Coach's Corner. You are gonna love, 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 and I'm using the word love so intentionally. My guest today, his name is Scott Stabile, and I was introduced to him in his new book, Big Love, The Power of Living with a Wide Open Heart, through our mutual publisher, New World Library. And our PR lady there, Kim, sent me the book, and I've been reading it, and I just loved it. And I'm like, I want to have him on the podcast. His positive outlook and the inner and outer experiences he shares in Big Love offer amazing examples of the power of love and action. Scott's inspirational posts and videos have attracted a huge and devoted social media following, including over 350,000 Facebook fans and counting. He's also a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. He lives in Michigan and conducts personal empowerment workshops around the world. We talk about so much here. We talk about the power of forgiveness. We talk about how to overcome tremendous trauma. We talk about how to have closure without really quote unquote, letting something go. And we talk about how to be love spreaders and so much more. I think you'll really, really enjoy this very sweet and inspiring conversation with Scott. Scott, my fellow New World Library published author. So happy to have you on Coach's Corner. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Christine. Well, people heard a little bit about you in the intro, but I'd love for them to hear more of the, the backstory, the part that isn't so much in the bio. You've had an incredible journey that's led you to writing this book, Big Love. Could you share a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I would I would say that the journey took a turn for sure. When I was 14, my parents were murdered. They were shot to death in their kind of fruit market that they owned in Detroit. And, you know, that, that obviously was, has been the most profoundly traumatic experience of my life. And at the time, I mean, as a 14 year old, I I was lucky to be the youngest of seven kids. Mm. So I had some familial support, but at the time I just, uh, in order to move on, I think subconsciously some part of me knew just to bury the pain and go on with my life. And I I went on as a a great student and a popular kid and went to a good college and spent years really crying once a year, you know, having a meltdown cry once a year, which was usually precipitated by too much alcohol and, you know, a conversation that, that steered toward family or something. But other than that yearly cry, I really just locked away the loss And I, it wasn't until my twenties when I moved from Michigan after college to the Bay area and got a job at this uh, store in the Haight-Ashbury district. And it was a new age kind of world gift store. And they had a really big book section of metaphysical books and new age and self-help and spirituality, whatever you want to call it. And this was my first introduction to that world. And I was surrounded by people who worked there who were talking about, love and enlightenment as a life goal. You know, they weren't speaking about career and making money. They were just talking about being as loving as they can be. And I started to read books that were, that were also reflecting on the value in being a compassionate human being. And they were talking about operating, you know, looking at your pain, honestly. And I realized that though it served me in my teenage years 
to put up the wall to to really feeling the grief around my parents that it was also preventing me from experiencing the deepest possible connections with people in my life and so at around 23 i realized it was time to to grieve differently and mm-hmm. and really what that meant was just to cry you know to feel all the feelings that i had been burying away and to to cry and to rage and to just allow myself to really grieve and it really it changed my life. I mean that in that point in my life in my 20s I was you know I was allowing myself to feel my emotions for the first time really which was is life changing when we're not trying to numb ourselves and escape them and I was also really connecting to what what has been my path uh since then which is love you know connecting to the idea that if I choose love as the guiding force in my life I'm going to serve myself and the world positively. And and I make if I can make that my mission um, and trust that everything else is going to fall into place. And I don't say that in this airy-fairy way of like, you don't have to worry about work or, mm-hmm. you know, functioning. It's not like that. But it's recognizing that, you know, I can make love my my mission. Yes. And, you know, and also show up in my life and work my job and do whatever else I'm doing. But what I found is that with with love is my mission, my life has has blossomed in ways I I couldn't have imagined. Uh, so I'm going to get to that in a second, but there's a lot to unpack here. Sure. Because one of the things that my audience knows from listening to the show, and whether you're new to my audience or not, if you've been listening for a while, you know how much I beat the drum of we have to feel when we yes. sweep things under the rug and just do the spiritual bypass. Like you didn't jump right to love is my mission. You had to go down (laughs) and feel so many of those feelings. And I just, you know, I so want to acknowledge your journey, Scott, and your path to, to have this life curriculum when your parents are murdered, not just die, but murdered at, at such a, a tender age, you know, that really is, you know, the path of a warrior. And so many people have called into the show or are listening and have had something traumatic happen in their childhood that they just don't think they could ever get over. And so for those people listening who've had something traumatic happen or just something really hard that think they can never get over it and that think that it defines them, what would you say to them? You know, I would say a couple things. The first thing that comes to mind is that I I don't think I've gotten over the murder of my parents. I think that we sometimes put pressure on ourselves to feel like we have to reach some sort of closure when we're dealing with grief and great loss. And I don't really see it that way. I don't think that we ever really find this clean, buttoned-up closure. But what I found, and I think that we don't have to put that pressure on ourselves because it it adds an element to grieving that we don't need, which is that we have to be in a certain place in our grief by a certain time or we're somehow failing. What I would say, though, is that, and I, I think this is also more of what you're speaking to, is the notion that I that there's nothing in our lives that we endure that we can't figure out a way to integrate in our lives and continue to move forward in a positive and productive way. I believe that with my whole heart and soul. You know, I I look at the loss of my parents and I think there are still moments sometimes where where something could could provoke me to to go into 
deep grief about losing them and the way they died. You know, um, mostly I'm, I'm functioning really well and it's not that every day I'm thinking about my parents or thinking about their murder at all. But, but what I've come to, to realize is that we do learn how to integrate our greatest pains in a way that, that is palatable in a way that we can move on. So to anyone who's suffering and feels like they're in a darkness that they can't possibly move beyond, I would encourage you to look at other moments in your life where you felt that same thing and, and to see that you have moved on from those moments and maybe they weren't as heavy as the moment that you're in right now, but also you weren't the same person. Like, right, we, we think we can't survive things, but who I am right now is an entirely different person than who I was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So all the twists and turns that life is going to throw at me and all of the, the challenges that life is going to throw at me, I have so much more strength and resilience built up in me right now to survive whatever it is I'm forced to survive. Yeah. It, you know, and, and then one of the most, the, the most cliched mantras out there, this too shall pass, that has served me so much in my life. If you're out there struggling and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, let me remind you that nothing lasts forever. No darkness lasts forever. And those words have provided such comfort for me, this too shall pass. Yeah. You know, and and so I would say that to to those listening who are struggling right now as well. Mm, thank you. I, I love so much of what you said, Scott. And I think that one of the things I want to highlight is that you don't have to totally be over it, right? There, the, I think right. we have this kind of closure of, oh, oh, yes, I'm not affected by that anymore. Like I look back to hard things in my life, like I'll just use my divorce as an example. Am I totally over it? I, no, it's always, there's always going to be a place inside of me that feels that. Does sure. it, does it, is it an excuse for me to not have what I want in life? Do I wake up sad about it every day? Do I think about it all the time? No, but it was a significant event that shaped me. And I think part of being a human and having a heart is we have these, these difficult moments. We have losses, we have grief, and we learn how to relate to them differently. And what I'm, that's, that's a lot of what I'm hearing you say is that you learned how to relate to your parents' death because you could have, and I see this happen with a lot of people, you could have used that as a scapegoat for why you're broke, why you don't have what you want, why you're not in the relationship, why you can't have the career. And and that's what I see happen with a lot of people that don't have the tools to really process significant life events that happen to them is, is then it becomes a scapegoat. So Absolutely. you were lucky. You found that, you found the metaphysical bookstore, you found the tools. Um, what are some of the tools that have been most useful for you in, uh, your grieving process and being able to get over something, not in the way that it's, oh, you're over it and it doesn't affect you, but change the way that you relate to it and the way it lives inside of you. Well, one, one thing that comes to mind right away is writing. You know, I, writing has served me incredibly well in terms of my healing and my growth. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the book I wrote, though there there were many cathartic moments in writing that. I'm speaking to the more personal journal writing I'm doing where I'm not trying to necessarily construct a, a chapter, but I'm just 
you know, vomiting out the, the rage or the sadness or whatever it is that's going on. Because I found so often that when we, when we write something down, where we start with our writing and what we believe we know about ourselves or an experience is often very different by the end of whatever it is we're writing down. And, and there's something in the act of writing. And especially, I think, if you can put a, you know, a pen in your hand and go into a journal or a sheet of paper, there's something in that, that act that opens us up to processing and exploring ourselves in a different way and opens us up to understandings that we may not get to if we're just kind of trying to work it out in our heads. So I I really encourage people to write. And everyone's a writer. If you know how to write, you're a writer. Just grab the pen or grab your computer and start writing. Um, Another thing that has served me incredibly well is connection. You know, I, I think that so often when we're you know, in the depths of our despair, we're really miserable, whatever it is we're going through, there can be a tendency to isolate. Mm -hmm. Um, And that for me is, and I think for many of us, is the exact last thing that we need to be doing for ourselves in those moments, because depression thrives on isolation. And I have found so often that when I when I can get myself to reach out and to connect, if it's, you know, with a just with a close friend or, you know, force myself to go out and connect with friends or find a support group or even go online and and connect in that way, any sort of connection uh, is is incredibly helpful to help us move through whatever it is we're going through. And especially if we're connecting with others who have gone through something similar, because then we're reminded over and over again that we are not alone. And I think that when we're going through grief or trauma or heartbreak, it's when we feel the most alone. We feel like nobody can really understand what we're going through. And the truth is a lot of people can. Like you mm-hmm. you don't have to have your parents murdered to understand loss and grief. And you know, if you're an if you're an adult, you've probably there's a good chance you've lost somebody close to you. And we can connect to each other through that grief. You know, and that connection is so important. And that's one of one of the missions with, with the book was just to really remind people that they're not alone and that we're all struggling. Mm-hmm. We're all trying to make sense of this crazy, unpredictable, often violent, very beautiful reality. Um, and you're not alone in the struggle. So, Scott, what inspired you to write Big Love and, and, and tell people, too, what the book is about? Big Love is a collection of personal essays about moments in my life that have pulled me from my center or rocked me from my center and the tools I've used to find my way back. So each chapter tells a story. The first half is basically a story from my life and the second half goes into some, you know, tools and personal development takeaways for the readers to apply to their own lives if they see fit. And some of the chapters are very heavy. You know, the chapter about my parents, I lost a brother to a heroin overdose. Most of the chapters are everyday experiences that we can all relate to. And I wrote it in part because, you know, I've had a Facebook page now for about five years and the page has grown into a a large supportive community. And I do a lot of writing and live videos there. And the the response to this work has been great. And I, I realize how how much we're all starving for for compassion and kindness and empathy and all of these important things in the world. And, you know, looking for ways to move through our fears and looking for a space where it's okay to talk about our insecurities and fears as well as our joys and triumphs. And that's what I've been doing with my Facebook page. And 
I wanted to take some of those posts and some of those ideas and, and really expand on them and go deeper. And that's what I did with the book. And also recognize not everyone's on social media, as hard as that is to believe. <laughs> you know, not everybody has a Facebook account. Um, so I really wanted, you know, I wrote the book in part because I wanted to write the book. You know, it's I'm a writer and I wanted to put this book out there and to reach um, an even an even broader audience beyond Facebook. Mm, mm. I would love to talk to you a little bit about shame, Scott, because I've I've you wrote a little bit about it. I heard you talk about it in another podcast. And I think you have such a you're an incredible teacher of what shame is and, and how we can overcome it. I think that that's another thing that a lot of us suffer with. Like that the parts of us that we don't want to be seen, the parts of us that we think we have to keep secret, the way that we think we're not going to be loved or we're going to lose people if we're truly ourselves and we're truly honest about who we are and, and what we want. Can you talk a little bit about your journey with shame and what, what how it's been a teacher to you? Hey everybody, sorry to interrupt. We'll be right back to my conversation with Scott. Just wanted to make sure that when you're looking to buy a car, you get the best deal and real pricing on actual inventory. Unfortunately, a lot of times that isn't the case. And you know me, I'm all for honesty and authenticity. People can figure cars online only later to find out they're not available. With True Car, one of the sponsors for our show, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by True Car, but pricing from an actual dealer, and not just any dealer, but a True Car certified dealer. It's a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency, we love that, and offering you a competitive market price. So with True Car, you can easily find the car you want. Also, True Car will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is, so you feel confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car Certified Dealer Network, and there are over 13,000 True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. You can work directly with a contact there, and True Car users are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with a True Car Certified Dealer. And finally, True Car saves an average of over 3000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Absolutely. I mean, the first thing I'll say about shame is that shame is a liar. You know, it functions in lies and it functions in secrecy. And when we start to become aware of that, and when we start to understand that the moment we announce our shame, to anyone, those the moment we speak of those things we're ashamed of, to a friend, to a stranger, to a therapist, to a support group, to you know, to anybody, we immediately take away some of the power of whatever it is, is we were ashamed of. We take away the power of that shame. I mean, my greatest my greatest experience around shame has been around my sexuality and being a gay man and being um, completely not okay with that when I was growing up and feeling like I was a sinner and a pervert and, you know, there was something deeply wrong with me because of my attraction to other boys and men. Um, so that was, you know, the, the, the shame I felt, I, I felt shame in many areas of my life and for different reasons, but the shame I felt about my sexuality has definitely trumped all the other shames. And what I what I came to discover for myself, and it didn't happen right away. I mean, I moved 
from Michigan, from my college in Michigan to San Francisco in my early 20s. So that certainly helps any gay person because San Francisco is the <laughs> gayest place on the planet. You know, so um, I knew that in making that move that I was also going to be coming to terms with wanting to be more honest with, the, you know, my gayness. And, and what I saw is that the moment I started to come out to friends and it started with one close friend and then another close friend, you see immediately how the weight that is lifted from your shoulders when you mm-hmm. announce those things, when you share those things. And what we also come to find is that, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that shame tells us or tries to tr- tries to you know, suggest to us is that we're not going to survive sharing our shame. You know, we're going to be so horrifically judged and condemned and ostracized and whatever else that there's simply no way we can survive it. And what happens the moment we start to share it is that we realize we've survived it, Mm -hmm. you know, and it gives us strength to share it with the next person. So once I came out to one friend, you know, and I had, I, I'm lucky I had very supportive friends and I had supportive family. So I didn't have this nightmarish coming out experience. Um, but you, you start to come out to one person and you realize, you know what, not only am I okay, I'm that much freer for having announced it. The shame doesn't hold, it doesn't hold the reins anymore the way it used to. And then you come out to another and another and another. So whatever it is, that you're ashamed of in your life. Just consider those moments and those things you may have been ashamed of in the past. And remember those moments that you spoke it to a friend. And and I bet everyone listening can relate to having felt so much shame about something and then sharing it with a friend. And the friend more than likely could relate mm-hmm. to what you were saying because we're all experiencing the same things. We're all ashamed. We're all insecure. You know, we're all the whole human mess of what it means to be a human. And you, you, you end up feeling so silly. Like I look at other things. I was so ashamed of my balding head in college and losing my hair. And it it was, I put so much energy into covering up my head and making sure nobody knew that I was losing my hair. And when I look back on that, I'm like, it's so silly. I can't believe I put so much energy into that when I could have been putting that energy into just being free. And that's yeah. the thing, shame. I mean, one of the opposites of shame for me is just freedom. And when we when we really root ourselves in our truth and we we find the courage to be more authentic in our lives, there's simply no room for shame in in that authenticity. Mm. And and we build the courage to to be more authentic the more authentic we are. It just it's like an avalanche effect. Yeah. And and you know, not everyone is going to approve or like every little part about us. And I think that that's one thing that has helped me feel free because a lot of the things that maybe I was ashamed to reveal was because I was so afraid what other people were going to think. And I was so afraid that someone was going to disagree with me. And the truth is like some people have disagreed with me. Some people haven't liked things that I've shared. Some things about me are things that people have maybe criticized, but I have found that by putting them out there, by being honest, by not holding secrets inside, one, I really attract more of the people who are like-minded yes. and and who also want to be free of shame. And two, I feel so much more free, so I'm not as upset by people who maybe don't approve or don't understand me because I feel free. And the freer you feel, the less bothered you are by what other people think. I think we, we imprison ourselves with this, what are other people thinking? And if we could just let that go, we automatically start to feel free. And 
we're, we all have our different backgrounds and the different things that make us us. And I just, you know, I love that both of us are really encouraging people right now to, to, to take off any kind of armor of shame, to, to really give yourself full permission to, to be you because that's the greatest gift you can give the world. Not, Absolutely. not someone else's version, right? Absolutely. And, and I'm so glad you brought that up because the thing I, I like to remind people is that humans are judgmental. It mm-hmm. is our nature. And no matter what you do in your life, you are going to be judged. So if people are going to judge you anyway, let them judge you for your truth. That's really how I feel about it. It's like if I choose to live my life a prisoner to the conditioning that I've grown up with and trying to fit into like the mold, the box of the norm, people are going to judge me anyway, you know, but like you're, and so why not live freely, Mm -hmm. you know, knowing that, that people will judge me anyway. And you're, and there's no, there's just no speaking to the feeling of being free in your life, you know, and I can't pretend to be free all the time. I'm not free a hundred percent of the time, but I'll tell you what, I'm freer than I've ever been in my life. And I feel better than I've ever felt in my life in great part because of that freedom. Absolutely. I 100% agree. hundred percent agree. And it took a couple of times of putting myself out there or doing something and it not being approved of by everybody or whatever. And it yeah. took a couple ouches. Took a couple yes. ouches, <laughs> but, <laughs> but those, those short term ouches, oh my gosh, they were so worth it for the long term feeling of feeling free and feeling like I can reveal my life, my story, things that happened to me and, and not be ashamed of it because so many of the things that did happen in the past, I was ashamed of, and I had to keep them secret. You know, like I kept my depression secret for many, many, many years because I was so embarrassed about it as a kid. And it's so freeing to be able to talk about it. And I know not just for me, but for other people as well, because it was something that I had kept hidden for so, so, so long. And it's, you know, that's, that's a great gift we can give our inner children (laughs) as adults is to take them out of like having to keep secrets because that's such a painful thing to have to do. Absolutely. And it's such, as you said, it's such a gift you give other people. Like when you are sharing your authenticity and you're, you're sharing your insecurities and your fears and your pain, as well as your joys, you're, you're, you're creating a space for others to do the same. Yeah. You're creating a space for others to feel free to share those things that they felt ashamed of. It's a, a hugely powerful gift that we give each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was one of the things I wanted to cover was shame. The other thing that I really wanted to talk to you about is forgiveness. It's another question I get a lot. Like, how can I possibly forgive the person that abused me? How can I possibly forgive the person that broke my heart? How can I possibly forgive my alcoholic father? And so I wanted to talk to you about that because, you know, obviously you shared your parents were murdered. Were you able to forgive the people that did it? Or person, the person. Yes, I was. And there's a there's a chat. It's actually the last chapter in the book is called like freedom, because I think of I think of forgiveness as another path to freedom, because I, I know what it's like not to forgive. I know what it's like to hold on to the blame and the resentment and the, the rage and the hatred and all of those things we hold on to when we're operating outside of the energy of forgiveness. And it, for me, was just one of the worst, most toxic feelings that we, that we have, that we can, you know, that we can embody. 
And forgiveness is exactly the opposite. Forgiveness is is a freedom. You know, it's letting go of all the all the blame and the resentment. And and with the man who murdered my parents, I mean, forgiveness didn't come right away. That's for sure. And it wasn't. Right. It wasn't even anything I thought about in my teenage years. You know, I wasn't. I was just trying to survive. Let alone thinking about forgiving the man. And when I would think of him, it was with hatred. You know, it was with vengeful thoughts. It was with all of that. And again, in my 20s, when I was, you know, awakening really to to love and compassion, I started to consider for the first time what this man's life experience might have been like, you know, without knowing any details, I started to think about what it could have been like to walk in his shoes or started to recognize that that no person who's operating with any sense of self-love and self-worth you know, or who feels seen in any way by the world could kill other people. It's Mm -hmm. just not possible. Mm -hmm. And though I couldn't, I can't connect to killing somebody. That's not something I can relate to, but I can certainly relate to having been so angry in my, in my life that I've wished people would die. And I could relate to feeling so unloved and so unseen and so worthless you know, and all of these things that we all feel in moments as human beings, those things I could connect to. And once I started to, to, to sit in those places inside of me, I was able to really just to connect to his humanity. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was through that lens that I was able to find forgiveness for him. And then really what I, how I write it in the book, and this was really the experience for me was I noticed that when I would do the work of connecting to his humanity and bringing empathy to the experience, eventually forgiveness found me. It was like, I I just realized that when I would think about him, it wasn't with hate, it wasn't with anger, it was with love, and it was with compassion. And I realized I've forgiven this man. And, and And to people out there who say that they can't forgive, I just invite you to bring as much empathy and compassion to the experience as you can, because forgiveness is always possible. The way I've come to view forgiveness is that if I see something as unforgivable, what I'm saying is that the darkness that lives in the actions of another person is greater than the light that lives within my heart. Mm. And I just don't see that as a possibility. (laughs) That, you know, because I don't know how else to see it. Yeah. That's the only way I, I see it. And that isn't possible for me. The light and love that lives within each of us, it's greater than anything. It's yeah. more powerful than anything. Yeah. And, and empathy, I really see empathy as the path to forgiveness. Yeah. Talk, what is your definition of empathy? Really just taking the time to imagine what it's like to walk in another person's shoes. You know, taking the time to consider another person's struggle, recognizing that we're all human beings and and really allowing yourself to rest in the experience of another person. That's what I see as empathy or allowing yourself if you've had the experience of another person, allowing yourself to be present in your own experience so that you can connect with another person going through pain on a deeper level. You know, it's not simply saying, if sympathy is saying, I'm so sorry for you, you know, sympathy, there's, it's not that there's something wrong with sympathy, but that creates a distance. Yes. Sympathy says, I feel sorry for you. Empathy says, I am you. You know what I mean? Like, I am you. I feel you. And not in order to hijack their experience or make it about yourself, but just to let them know that you are connecting to them in their pain. You are recognizing them as another human being. And not to take it on either as, yeah, yeah, not 
And, and that's a hard thing because there are a lot of empathic people out there and it's and I consider myself, uh, you know, a highly empathetic person. So sometimes we get overwhelmed because we're we're so sensitive and the world can be so violent and disgusting that it's hard sometimes to um, create safe boundaries for yourself. So you're not taking everything on um, in a way that is is harmful to your own, you know, self self being self-being that doesn't really make sense but your own <laughs> your own wellness yeah. you know yeah. what I mean but yeah totally know what you mean practice. yeah oh such good stuff I talk about the difference between empathy and sympathy a lot and I love that you're saying this because you know sympathy there's a judgment we're feeling sorry for them in some way or we're judging them in some way and empathy is like you know we're really it it it, it to me brings me more into the feeling of compassion and really being you know with someone else but not taking it on and Two, with forgiveness, another question that I get a lot on the podcast, because I say to people, I, I know this is hard for you to understand, but that person really was doing the best they could. It, 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 that blows our mind because we could be like, wait a second, how how is murdering someone or abusing a child the best they could? And mm. it's like our mind will never wrap, is not able to comprehend that because we would never do that. We would never do sure. that. And this is not to excuse it or anything, but when we... When we can really get in someone else's model of the world, that helps us get to forgiveness. But like you said, you had to go through your emotions. I'm sure you had to go through your anger at that person first before you could get to forgiveness. But the forgiveness is something that has freed you up. It wasn't so much letting him off the hook. It was more about so you could feel free inside and not have that anger and resentment living inside of you because that would just that would just bring you down. Absolutely. Look, I, I see forgiveness from a couple different, um, through a couple different lenses. And I, I think that however you find your way there is beautiful because it's forgiveness is forgiveness. And I think absolutely that it's, it's possible to, to move toward forgiveness simply to recognize that you're hurting yourself by not more often than not. You know what I mean? If yes. you're living in that unforgiving space, you're, you're probably not doing yourself any service. And with the man who murdered my, so I, that was part of the process for me. Absolutely. A hundred percent. But with the man who murdered my parents, what was also a part of it was just truly the recognition of his humanity. And, and though without condoning what he did, certainly, and without even him needing to know he was forgiven, he mm -hmm. doesn't know I've forgiven him. It's not, a, it's not really about that. Forgiveness doesn't ultimately have anything to do with the other person, but I did want to, forgive him as a recognition of his humanity mm -hmm. as well, you mm -hmm. know, but however you get there, you get there. And, and I know that first, look, I also don't believe if people are committed, if they don't want to forgive, they don't have to forgive. Look, like I'm not, who am I to tell you, you have to forgive someone. But what I would, cons what I would look at is, you know, I, I gave a workshop once and there was a woman who was in the workshop and she, she, she had been abused by her stepfather and she came up to me after and she said, you know, I'll never forgive him. And she she went on, you know, talking about it. And I felt in her energy how much how impacted she still is today, probably a good 20 years later by what happened with her stepfather. And mm. that's understandable. You know, it was a, an incredible, an incredibly painful experience that that I can't relate to and haven't had in my life. But what I what I saw is that that experience still had control over a lot of how she's showing up for her life today. And so I, what I feel is that if you're unwilling to forgive, okay, but if your unwillingness to forgive 
is also impacting the potential for joy and well-being in your life today, then it's worth at least considering the possibility for for forgiveness. Yes. You know, and and the only way, look, forgiveness for me is is life or love's toughest mandate. It doesn't just happen instantly for most of us. It takes work. But what I found in really in every area of my life is that if you are dedicated to forgiving and if you believe that forgiveness equals love, and that you will forgive everything, you will find your way there eventually. Absolutely. You, you know, I believe that 100%. Absolutely. Oh, such good stuff. Last question for you, Scott. You say we all can be love spreaders. So what does that look like on a daily basis? It looks like so many things on a <laughs> daily basis. But but really and truly, I believe that love love is the base note for kindness and for compassion and for forgiveness and for authenticity so really whenever we're acting with kindness we're spreading love whenever we're choosing compassion we're spreading love so the moment you walk outside well no actually the the moment you wake up and walk into the bathroom and look in the mirror and your mind starts to go into the self abuse of how you're ugly and you're not this and you're not that and all these other things that you do if you can interrupt that and ask yourself, what does love invite me to do in this moment? Mm. Love is going to invite you to look upon yourself through a very different lens, you know, and that, that is love in action. That is you spreading love. The moment you walk outside your door and you engage with your neighbors with a kind, open heart, that is spreading love. If you are, if someone's posting something on Facebook that really enrages you or disgusts you or offends you or whatever, if you choose not to respond with the same vitriol, but to disengage or to respond in a way that actually doesn't condone what they're saying, brings your message forth with kindness and compassion, that's spreading love. We are always afforded opportunities to spread love all through the day, really and truly from the moment we wake up, because we're always in our heads and yes. we all have. So we always we all have the inner critic. We're all beating up ourselves for this or that. And we can always interrupt that with more love. And then in our interactions with other people, and we're always interacting with other people on some level as well. So, you know, we there there are always possibilities for spreading love. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and spreading love with my <laughs> over it and on with it community. Tell people where they can get the book and where they can follow you. Yeah, well, the book, it's called Big Love, The Power of Living with a Wide Open Heart. And it's everywhere. I mean, it's online everywhere as an ebook. It's a hardcover book. It's a really beautiful cover that it I is. had nothing to do with, but I love it so much. And it's uh, an audio book with me reading it, if you like audiobooks. And then it's in bookstores, too. So go to your favorite bookstore and, and get it the old-fashioned way as well. And then you can find me on my website, which is scottstabile.com. Or I, I really recommend finding me on Facebook, too, because that's where I do most of my posting. And I do a lot of live videos there, which are always really, uh, really fun and lots of good energy when it's live. Awesome. Awesome. And you've got a huge following over there. It's a really amazing community. A lot of love. A lot of, a lot love, of love there. A lot, a lot of, of love, love there. <laughs> oh, well, I am lit up. Thank you so much, Scott, for, for sharing. Thank you so much for the courage that you've had along your journey and for being someone that just is, is, a, is, is spreading love and helping us remember that it's safe to live with a wide open heart. 
Yes. And Christine, thank you so much for having me. And, and ditto to everything you said with what you're doing and the work you're doing. It's, it's so important and necessary and it's making such a beautiful difference in our world. Oh, well, we're all in it together. You know, that's what's so great about being a human alive at this time is so many of us want to grow it and we want to be, we want to live with wide open hearts and be love spreaders. Yes. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. So everybody out there listening, go out and spread some love today.